kids really don't actually need toys. Play is so natural and instinctual for them that oftentimes the toys that we're buying are actually inhibiting that independent play. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Alana, and I'm bringing her right into the conversation because I'm just so excited to speak with her. We had never, we've never met. We've we've had IG lives, um, but she's one of those people where I was like, I needed to make myself a, a coffee, you know, and get ready to chat with like a friend that I've connected with online. We align so much in how we view play. And uh, Alana, thank you for coming on to the podcast to chat with me about play today. Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped. <laughs> <laughs> we we I think I don't know how long we spoke <laughs> before recording this, but yeah, like a half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Like we should probably record. Forget yeah, exactly. Conversation on the actual podcast. <laughs> and you know, because the thing is that you have such an interesting life, and I don't think I would do justice by giving your bio or whatever that is. Just tell us like what you've been up to the past year, and and how. Let's bring play into that. Like how you've incorporated play traveling the world. So yeah, so we sold everything back in June to start traveling full time with our four little kids. Um, we have seven and a half, uh, almost six, three and a half, and one and a half year old. Mm. Um, and we just really wanted to explore. And the kids were um, super eager to kind of get out there in the world. Uh, we minimized everything. As I said, we sold most of our stuff. Mm. And um, we've just been like kind of living through experience and really enjoying um, being in immersed in different cultures and the kids have picked up language. Um, they are just loving, like playing with kids from all over. It's so incredible to me. One of the best gifts I feel like I've witnessed this whole time has been watching my kids who, who don't speak, you know, they don't speak fluent Greek or fluent Spanish. Um, and they just start playing with other kids and they're doing the same things. Like they're digging holes in the sand, right? Or they're <laughs> building with rocks on the beach. And it's just incredible for me to witness. Um, I, I knew that like as an educator and as somebody who is very well sort of versed in this space and well-researched and well-read and everything that I know, right? Like I know, I know that. I know that that's happening all over the world, but to just watch it with your own eyes mm. has been really magical for me and just kind of solidifying like, see, I do know what I'm talking about. Yes, this is stuff <laughs> that's, you know, these are kind of these same play patterns and um, how kids are playing across the world. It just was, has been a really, really special experience for me. So, but yeah, been crazy, but fun. I can't even imagine, especially with four kids. Like, honestly, I it, I think it's just so cool. Like, I, don't, I can't think of a better word. Like, it's just amazing to take off and, and do this. And I'm wondering if play looked different for your kids when they were home, when they had play, like toys mm -hmm. and friends that they were used to seeing, you know, were there video games? Like, what did play look like when you were living at home versus now you told us a little bit about, you know, once you took off, but I'd love to compare the two to understand a bit more about that. 
So when we were home, when we bought our last house, uh, we bought it because it needed a lot of work. And I love renovation and designing spaces, which is part of what I do is is help people design playrooms. Um, And so we basically bought this house with the intention of creating this incredible play space for the kids. And we did. Um, And so they had a massive, you know, playroom right off of the kitchen. They had all the toys that I, you know, I love and always brands that I bring into to the space. They had a climbing gym. They had, you know, just really special things. Um, it was very sad to leave. I will say like part, part of me was like, oh, I've spent so much time curating this space and it's beautiful and it's inviting. And the kids, I mean, they would play all day in there, hours, hours, hours at a time. And so it was definitely hard to leave. Uh, we minimized a lot of toys. We sold a lot of stuff. Um, we gave away a lot of stuff. We, you know, gave to my niece, um, we did keep a few things, right? And we we brought stuff with us, but play obviously at our house when we had a sort of more stable home. Um, it was more consistent in that sense. Um, the children knew where their play space was, right? Like I'd say, go play. And they went into their playroom and that was it. And I think that uh, they had more variety of toys, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously we had a space so we could have you know, three different sets of blocks and we had the magnet tiles and the Legos and all the scarves and all the dress up and all the things, you know, while sort of trying to keep it still minimal, but we had a lot of options. Whereas when we started traveling, we really, each of them had about a um, paper, like an eight and a half by 11 sized little zip bag um, mm-hmm. where we packed that was all they brought. And so um, wow. they each had the three older ones. The baby didn't really, she had a few little rattles and things like that. Um, but they, they brought, you know, a few, my, my son brought a few dinosaurs and, um, some cars and, uh, some tops spinning tops Mm -hmm. and, um, a deck of cards. And then my daughter brought some dolls and, um, some little figures, you know, some little mice figures, and we brought a Mm -hmm. couple play silks. And so we ended up ordering a set of magnet tiles and a set of Legos because Mm -hmm. we got to the point where we were in a place for three months and, Uh, My oldest was like really needing a little bit more. He really loves building. So we invested in that and had them delivered to us via Amazon. Thank you very much. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Amazon Portugal. Actually, it was Amazon Spain delivering to Portugal. So, um, but honestly, they don't care. They didn't Mm. care. They really didn't. They played more outside. Um, they played more with friends. They played more just in more creative ways without the use of any toy, which I talk a lot about that Mm -hmm. kids really don't actually need toys. Um, play is so natural and instinctual for them that oftentimes the toys that we're buying are actually inhibiting that independent play, um, Mm. for a variety of reasons. And so we, we, you know, we, a lot of times feel like, Oh, if I just buy this toy, my kid will play. Um, and reality is your kid's going to play no matter what they will play. If you put them in an open field, they'll find, they'll play, you know, hop, they'll, they'll hop around, they'll play tag. They'll, um, they'll create a game with sticks and rocks. Mm -hmm. They really, they do not need toys at all. And so as much as it like pained me in some ways to leave behind a lot of the stuff that we loved, Mm -hmm. you know, the bigger items, we had some beautiful, you know, swing and a client and a climber Mm -hmm. and a rocker and and just some beautiful wooden things we, we kept, right. We still have them, but we Mm -hmm. we didn't have access to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew like, 
again, I was like, I know, I'm like, I know they're going to be fine. They don't really need this stuff, but it's, it's, I'm like, but I love it. It's beautiful. Um, but they really, they really didn't skip a beat. They honestly Mm. didn't. Um, they, you know, like I said, they're, you know, really into my son got into really into chess. So we, uh, we have like a little travel chessboard, um, cards and we picked up, you know, a few art supplies along the way puzzle here and there. Um, and that's been that. <laughs> Looking back, if you were to come back into the home that had that space, would you recreate it the same way? Or now that you've been gone for a little while, would you have less? Like what would change for you? I That's such a great question. Um, I think that if we had the space, I would absolutely bring back a few of those pieces. They are just so beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, we had a, you know, a pikeler cr- a climber, a pikeler triangle. And, you know, my kids played with it from birth, you know, as soon as they could move, right? Like when they were nine months or six mm-hmm. months and they're starting to try to pull themselves up all the way through my seven and a half year old who would stand on it and jump and like do flips <laughs> off of it and read underneath it as a real. So there's mm-hmm. just, it's just these, these things like, you know, some of these sort of more special things that I'm thinking about in my mind, I'm sitting here like kind of daydreaming um, are things I would absolutely bring back. At the same time, I think that, you know, because I work in this space and because I, you know, I sometimes will work with a brand or I'll like sort of want to test out a toy. I'll buy things that I don't, we don't necessarily need more than I want. Um, And so we definitely ended up with probably more than what I would say I would want if I really got it back and was, you know, if I was like working with a client or something, I would be like, okay, that's too much. But because we had it, we kind of made it work and we, you know, we would have, you know, I would send a set of blocks to my mom's and one was upstairs and one was downstairs and things like that. But absolutely like not necessary to have all of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that some of it we would and some of it we, we wouldn't, um, our space was, was definitely a beautiful, very intentionally, um, crafted one, but again, it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And I, I like to reiterate because I think sometimes parents think like, oh, I have to have this, you know, this beautiful pl- picture, perfect Instagram worthy playroom. Yeah. And it's like, not at all. You number one, you don't yeah. even have to have a playroom. You can have a play corner or, you know, mm-hmm. you can be using your dining room as a double duty, right? Mm-hmm. Half of us don't really use a dining room anyways for, in, you know, unless we're eating in a more formal way. Um, and so there's a lot that you can do with a space that doesn't need to, doesn't require you to have a dedicated playroom. I, mean, I like to caveat that because I, you know, yeah. people are like, oh, I, I don't have a space that. or I live in an apartment or, yes, exactly. you know, and yeah. it's like, it's not about that. Kids are little. They don't need big spaces. They really don't. I, I think the category of like open-ended toys, I talk about it a lot, but then some parents are questioning, what is that? What, what is open-ended? What is an open-ended toy? And, and like, sometimes I think we talk a lot about like, you know, the rainbow and all these blocks that might be expensive. And they think that it's only that that we can buy. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of like, if we do have an apartment, like what kind of toys should we invest in or, you know, have in the play space to lead to that independent play? You spoke about your kids, like you saying, just go play. And I know there's a lot of parents that will say go play. And I, I often say like, it works like 1% of the time <laughs> because it's hard. Like when you say go play, it's very different than having like an inviting environment to go play, right? Yeah. Um, so how how do you make that work? How do you say go play and your child does it if you're in an apartment or perhaps you don't have the right toys? 
So I think the thing is, is that again, like it's, it's a child's natural instinct to play. And a lot of the times we, and this is said with the most love that I can absolutely give right in my heart is like, we, as parents, we like ruin that for the kids, right? Like yeah. we, I know what you mean. You're right. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not yeah. I, yeah. you know, it's, it's, we do it. It's not intentional. No, we do it out yeah. of love. We want to participate. We want to engage. We, um, we feel pressure from, we see all these activities, you know, popping up on our feed and we're like, oh my God, look at these, this person, they're doing all these activities or these fancy sensory bins or this craft or that craft. And at the end of the day, all of that stuff is actually sort of almost, and I hate to say this, taking away from that child's natural instinct, because the more that we're doing for them, the more that's adult led, the more that we're structuring their playtime, the less that they have time to actually really sit in that and just do their natural thing. And so I think the thing is, is to focus on, it doesn't matter how big your space is. doesn't matter what kinds of toys you have. You, you could have no toys. Literally, you could have a couch, right? You have a couch, you have, a, you have some cushions, some pillows. Your kids will play floor with a floor is lava. You have Tupperware, your kids can stack. You have, you know, tops and like lids and, and tops. Your kid will put on and take off, put on, take off. You... I mean, get an Amazon box, like your Mm -hmm. kid's going to play with that for hours. And there's a reason. And like you said, it's because it's open-ended. So I think Mm -hmm. the, and I, you know, so open-ended toys to kind of get back to that, they're just things that are going to inspire, you know, Mm -hmm. imagination. they are things that are, there's infinite ways for a child to play with that toy. Whereas if you have something that's more closed, so there's also a spectrum, right? Like open-ended box um, and open-ended, like maybe a truck, right? A truck mm-hmm. isn't as open-ended as a box, but it's very open-ended in the sense that they can play with that in such a variety of ways and it can spark a lot of imagination. And then you have closed toys, which are things that, um, you know, I have made the mistake, I would say, of sort of not talking about this enough, like talking all about open-ended toys and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But closed toys on the other end of the spectrum are things like puzzles, um, shape sorters where, you know, the, the, they're self-correcting. You try to put the square, you know, peg into the round hole. It's not going to work. The child is learning that this is the skill that I have to do. And until I fix, until I complete that skill, it's, it's not going to actually work. Same thing with a puzzle. You can't force it. You're not going to make a picture if the pieces are wrong. And so having a closed toy like that, or a closed material, which is all Montessori materials are this, this closed, um, this idea of like this closed toy or closed material. Mm. Those are great. Those are fine. It's really where we get these sort of more closed toys that are also typically like these trendy toys that have batteries. They light up, they sing, they dance, they do all the work. (laughs) And so when you have a toy that does all the work for the child, the child is not doing the work. And so therefore the child is going to get out of the habit of doing the work. And they're going to be so used to this constant stimulation and the constant, you can speak to this, the constant dopamine, right? Mm. It's like, I press the button, ding, I press the button, ding. And then it's entertaining the child. Exactly. It's so passive. And so um, it's one of those things where it's not to shame or blame or make you feel bad for buying those kinds of things because when have you ever seen like wooden blocks advertised? They, they're they not because you buy wooden blocks and your kid will play with that for 15 years. And exactly. You know, kid generation. Yeah. So you're not like, yeah. no one can sell you, right? Like it's like one and done. And so that's why it doesn't get advertised. And we think, oh, you know, this trendy toy or this top 15 toys of 2020, 
two or whatever. Mm. And they're all these trendy things. And and yeah, your kid might like that for a week or two. But what happens is they play with it. They master it because it's closed. So they master the skill, mm-hmm. press the button, it sings a song, press the button, it sings a song. They get tired of it. Okay, I've already been there, done that. And then that's it. It's it's mm-hmm. done. There's no there's they're not playing with it anymore. It's it ends up just in the junk pile. And that is the stuff that most parents are purchasing and it's not because they want to like not do right by their kids. It's mm-hmm. because how would they know? This is what's out there, right? When you look at the advertisements and you even see like the the slap of the education label. This is educational toy. I'm like that's a joke. Oh, gosh. I know. <laughs> like, don't. That's a whole separate podcast. Is like, let's talk educational toys. I'm like, there's no toy that is educating no. your kid. Your child is learning through doing, and so if they're not actually doing anything, they're not educating. They're not being educated. Mm. But, ooh, yeah. Ooh. And and there's I I talk about this too because it it gets to me. They use it so much in marketing and educational. By definition, there's the journal of pediatrics that says like a true educational toy is one that increases interaction with a caregiver. Mm-hmm. So not the opposite. Yeah, exactly. So take the batteries out and use that little dog that sings or whatever it is and like make it bark with your voice. Yeah. Have them make it bark with their voice. You sing the the alphabet or whatever it is. But that's that's what we're looking for in an educational toy. And I love that you're bringing that up, too. Yeah, it's (laughs) It's it's definitely one of my biggest like pet peeves Mm. because I feel like it's just this trap that parents fall into. And, you know, as a new mom, um, you know, or a new parent in general, you know, you, you want to do the best. I have not met a single mom that doesn't want to do the best thing for their kid. And so, you know, you, you go on these lists, you, you're Googling and what's the best toys, what's the best educational toys for my one-year-old. And you get this crap list. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you're buying off this list because of course you think, oh, this is amazing for my kid. So I'm going to buy this. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of like wrap your head around, no, your kid needs none of those things. Like they need a set of wooden blocks, right? Or they need yeah. so, and so I think, and again, you know, sometimes people like what you were talking about with the rainbow or the fancy blocks or the other toys that you see on, you know, on Instagram or mm-hmm. or on TikTok. And of course, you know, I have a lot of that stuff, right? And we have the privilege to be able to provide some of these things for our kids. Uh, not everything we're not, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, there are things that we've sacrificed or we do very minimal of other things. And so we can afford to buy the, you know, $75 block set or whatever yeah. it is. But at the end of the day, you can find, go to any thrift store or or Goodwill or whatever, like you will find wooden stacking cups, wooden blocks, little peg people. You could go to the dollar store or like a Michaels or Walmart or any, I mean, I don't like love Walmart just for other reasons, but just any other sort of lower um, yeah. price point store. Dollar store. Dollar we store. find them a lot and at the dollar store. you can find yeah. little wooden rings, little peg people. Yes. Um, little mm-hmm. blocks. You do not have to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. for these like fancy, sort of Instagram worthy toys. Mm-hmm. That said, I always try to re- reiterate that there's number one a reason often that these more wooden handcrafted toys are more expensive because they take a lot of time. They're made yeah. by small shops. They're made by like actual humans who are sitting mm-hmm. there carving the wood, painting the wood, dyeing the wood, mm-hmm. staining the wood. So. Mm-hmm. There's a reason often why some of those things are more expensive. And I like to give credit to that. I think that, you know, when you're, if you, if you have a hundred dollars to spend, I would say go buy the hundred dollar blocks, not go buy the 25 little, you know, plastic yeah. little toys. Um, 
because that's a better investment. You're supporting us, you know, more often than not a small shop. Um, And so finding and thinking that you have to find, again, getting in this trap of like, oh, I have to buy that exact thing. And then going to find like the knockoff that Mm -hmm. is not necessarily um, made in ethical ways and things like that. I try to encourage against that. It's better to buy it used buy it, um, buy it secondhand, buy it used, um, look on Facebook marketplace, ask around in groups, look for donations, things like that. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. Um, it's better for us to be reusing and reducing our purchasing anyways. And so, Hmm. you know, if you're looking and it's okay to give, you know, a secondhand toy as a gift, right? Like if you have found this beautiful set of wooden blocks at the Goodwill for $5, who cares, right? They're yeah. they're just as valuable as the hundred dollar version. It's the same brand, yeah. you know, same thing, but just a different. So I think that's um just sort of a few words about like the toy kind of feeling like this envy of toys yeah. and seeing what you see and um just knowing your kids don't need that, you know, they don't need to spend a lot of money. No, exactly. And I think also sometimes as parents, even to like stretch that out a bit more but like even if we have all those toys there will be moments where our kids don't want to play or that we're struggling with getting them to play right like i i want to like like kind of like expand everything and and look at it from different perspectives because i do know that some parents say like i I have the blocks and my child's in playing with them i think there's a lot of learning that has to be done and you mentioned our role as a parent as well you know i i was speaking to um a local school board here in montreal this week actually for a podcast and they brought back play into preschool. Um, uh, I say brought back play. Preschool wasn't something here that we had to do in Montreal. Mm-hmm. You would have daycare and then you'd start kindergarten. But now they brought in preschool in the school setting, but they don't want it to be the same kind of learning as, you know, grade one, grade two. So they brought in play and it, teachers are sort of struggling to undo what they've learned, the sort of didactic learning and they don't know how to incorporate play to help the kids learn. So our role is, there is a role that we have. What is the role of the parent when we're at school? Because we are buying those toys that are like the hot toy of the year because they're teaching, let's say, alphabets and, and counting. And we see that as a really important skill. But the skills you learn when your your child is allowed to explore an environment is very different. And I would argue even more important. <laughs> I would absolutely argue more important. So I was a teacher for over 10 years. And part of the reason why I left the school system was because I had probably a handful of students over the course of the decade plus that I was, you know, that I was teaching in the public school system that really wanted to learn that they Mm. were there for the right reasons, right? Like like they were, they were curious and they were asking questions and they were thinking and they were taking risks and they they just wanted to grow and learn because of the joy of learning. And the rest of the students were completely paralyzed by this fear of failure. They, Mm. God forbid, they don't get the answer right on the test. Is this going to be on the test? Is every single thing that you want them to do, is this going to be on the test? Are you going to be grading this? And it's just this like, everything becoming so externally mode, like from an external yeah. motivation standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we do as parents have a lot to do with that. And so that's part of why I left because I said, okay, well, if I can't change it from within the school system, maybe I can work with parents to get them into a better place so that the children aren't getting to that point. Because once they get to that point in high school, there's not a lot of 
getting back from that. It's like, hard to undo you know, it. it's really hard. And I mean, yeah. I, I did the best I could for 10 years. And I will say, yeah, of course, I had a few students sort of turn it around from that perspective. But it was really just very, very disheartening as somebody who is kind of sees themselves as a lifelong learner and really thinks that that is one of the most crucial skills that we can give our kids are these more soft skills, their critical thinking skills, their questioning skills, their Mm -hmm. um, ability to regulate their emotions, to um, work together as a team, Mm -hmm. to be strategic in their decision-making, to, um, I think I said, manage their emotions. You know, there's, these are like soft skills, right? And it's like, no, no, no. Those are the most, if you don't have those things, you might learn the alphabet, you might learn how to count, but you're going to like your learning is going to end because if you don't love learning, your learning is done and we've lost you. And so for me, yeah, yeah, it's just like play. And like you talk about first and second grade and I'm sitting here thinking like my seven and a half year olds in second grade, he he plays all the time, but I can tell you that most seven and a half year olds don't, they're playing on computers or they're playing on tablets or they're playing video games Mm -hmm. and they're sitting there mind numbingly you know, hitting buttons. Mm -hmm. And I, we would live in a neighborhood where, I mean, he'd be the only kid outside playing. And I'm like, what are all these kids doing? What, what's happening? Oh, they're watching TV. They're playing Roblox. They're playing Mm -hmm. Minecraft. They're doing this. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, they don't, they don't play with, they don't play with blocks anymore. And I'm like, your six-year-old doesn't play with blocks. Like I literally could cry thinking about that. It's like, No, it that's not normal. Like we've mm. come to think that it's normal because we see everybody else's kid or even our own kid like not playing anymore once they hit five, six, seven, eight. Mm. And we seem to think that that's a normal thing, but it's absolutely not normal. And we need to stop normalizing it because it's really actually damaging for our kids. And it's sad because I think, you know, again, when you see everybody else, you're like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is doing this. And so I guess it's okay. Or, you know, and so thinking about first graders and second graders, not having play as the main part of their day. It's just, you wonder why kids hate school. You wonder why kids don't love learning. I I mean, it's just, it's such a, And it's hard to hear, right? Because, and this is where I get like emotional because it's like, there's not a lot of um, choice for parents. Mm -hmm. Like you, you got to send your kid to school. You have to work, right? Or, or maybe you have the privilege of not being able to keep your kid home. And that's amazing, but not everybody has that choice. And so when we have systems in place and um, systemic things in place, right, that are detrimental to our kids well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being, social well-being. And we have normalized that. And we're like, oh, yeah, your kid's just going to go to school and hate school. And they're going to hate waking up in the morning and their phones and they're going to and they're going to cry every day about homework. And I'm like, none of those things are normal. Why are we making this seem as if it's it's okay? It's not okay. But at the same time, what are parents going to do? Like, it has been so far gone for so long and it's very daunting as, as I mean, I was in it and I was fighting and I was working toward towards systemic change. And it was just like, I got to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I have to make a decision for my kids to keep my kids out of the public school system in general. Right. But just yeah. approach parenting in a different way and approach 
screen time in a different way and I'm the minority and approach, you know, play in a different way because I know how important it is. And then I'm going to, I'm going to do that for my kids. And then I'm going to try to take that out into the world. And I think that that's, it's so sad. Like what you said, it's like, oh, they don't want it to be. And that the teachers are sitting there thinking it has to be. And it, it, it used to be, I feel like even just years ago where like the vast majority of teachers were like against it. Like they're like, no kids have to play, you know, we don't, we don't need to be doing all these academics at six, you know, five, six years old. And, and I don't know, I've been out of the system now for a year and a half, two years. So like, I don't know what the word on the street is anymore. You know, I'm kind of like out of the system and out of that, like little, you know, you kind of Mm -hmm. have this like camaraderie with people, like maybe teachers are starting to kind of drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. Like maybe they are, I mean, they're exhausted too. They're exhausted. I mean, I, I'm not blaming them at all. Yeah. Right? Cause I'm but- picturing like if there's other teachers that want it to be child-led and, and, and play-based, how, how do you do that? If the whole system is pushing you into like, right. With what happened to you, like I'm, I'm also picturing, it's funny. Cause as you're talking, I'm thinking about your kids as well. Right. And where they've been raised in a way that there's this sort of freedom to play and your seven-year-old is still playing with blocks Mine does too. I, they they still play pretend and they still yeah. play like the three, five, and seven year old all play together for yep. like hours, like just Wait, together. Wait, you have a three, five, creating. and seven year old? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> but just to say, <laughs> they <laughs> but they play together they all the time, and it's for hours a day. Hours, hours, and hours. <laughs> they create the most random things. But now I'm thinking, I'm thinking like even with your kids when they're in the school system, is that like stopping them? Like, cause now they're putting, they're being put or placed into this box, right? When it comes to learning, yes. how do we, cause I have the same struggle. I ended up keeping my daughter, she's seven now, but she was supposed to start kindergarten two years ago and the pandemic hit. So I kept her home and yeah. I've been homeschooling. So I'm homeschooling. I'm bringing play into their life and to their learning, but we might put her into school the next year. And I'm thinking, what's going to change? Everything's going to change for her. I'm worried because she she's used to having play as part of her day and, and cooking to learn math. and To make decisions for herself. Yes. Her. And, and organizing a project on her own already at her age and, and being curious, giving her a book. And she decides which animal is the most fascinating one. And let's go on Google and figure out what, what it eats and, and what it does. You know, like... I've enjoyed that process with her so much, but it's such a struggle. And and I think it all comes back to when they were young and what I was hearing about play, like we were talking about the clothes, you know, those clothes ended toys or those, the, the ones that you press buttons. And I think that as parents, we're just trying to teach our kids certain things, but how do we undo everything that we're talking about? Because it starts from when a child is born it where does. like my brother-in-law just had a child and I was like, he's like, which toys do I need? I was like, none, <laughs> none. Absolutely not. Man, it, <laughs> you don't it's need funny it. that you say that because that was another reason why I actually started this business was because mm-hmm. I was just in these parenting groups and seeing moms post like, how do I stimulate my six week old? And I'm yes. like, <laughs> I'm like, you, yeah. what? I'm like, you yeah. should be sleeping. Like, what do you, yeah. what do you mean stimulate your six week old? They're literally either nursing or having a bottle and sleeping and pooping. That's all they mm-hmm. should be doing. And mm-hmm. They're awake for 30 minutes at a time. That's literally them, their eyes open looking at your face. That's stimulating enough. That's stimulation. Yeah. And so we think that we have to, and this is again goes back to this trap. We feel it's a, and it becomes this vicious cycle. We feel as parents, we have to stimulate, we have to educate, we have to teach, mm-hmm. we have to, we have to make our kids 
do these things, right? We have to we have to make sure that they are become these people. But what we don't realize is that by doing that, we're actually impeding their natural development. And so mm-hmm. when you're looking at a baby and that baby is looking off at the shadows on the wall for five minutes and or starting to stare at their hand, that's them playing. And mm-hmm. so we take their hand away and we give them a rattle, shake it in their mm-hmm. face because we think we have to stimulate them. And yeah. now we're already starting to like condition the brain. And you can speak to this because, you know, I am not a neuroscientist, a fancy <laughs> neuroscientist, but I know what I know. Like I'm a very well-read person and I'm educated and I'm really, like I said, I'm a neurodiverse individual. I remember mm-hmm. stuff that the vast majority of people like look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, how do you not know that? Really? Um, <laughs> you know, we're constantly stimulating the brain and it's lighting yeah. up, lighting up, lighting up from birth. And mm. and we wonder why our kids constantly need to be stimulated and are constantly yeah. bored or are needing us to step in over and over and over again, because their brain has literally been conditioned to mm. constantly need the stimulation. And yeah. so, um, you know, I think that like when you talk about um, sort of course correcting, and again, it's like the preface that we are all human. We're all going to make mistakes, um, whether it's, you know, mistakes while we're disciplining or mistakes, which, um, you know, uh, you know, that's a whole separate topic, but mm. mistakes with where we send the kids to school, mistakes mm. with how we potty train, mistakes with, right, we're all going to make mistakes. And I think my biggest takeaway as a parent is that if we can normalize making mistakes and then saying, okay, I learned something new that's changing what I understand. At first I thought this and now I realize it was wrong and now I think this. Like it's okay for you Mm. to learn something new and change your approach. It's okay for you to have given your kid a screen since six months to now say, oh, this is not good and then do something about it. And instead of getting like, a lot of the times I find parents and understandably so get super defensive because you feel like you're being attacked, right? And you feel so personal. It's so personal and it's so emotional and overwhelming. And you, you, of course, you're trying to do the best for your kid. And I think if we can kind of like put the brakes on the defensiveness and say, Mm -hmm. okay, that hurts for me to hear, right? When, when somebody, for example, screen time, that kind of ends up being a big trigger. Yeah, any post about that online. Oh I, man, I always... it's like I get like death threats in my DMs, yeah. and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like, yeah. whoa. Um, <laughs> and it's like, listen, we know it's not good for kids, right? So it's like you can hear that, and if that's triggering for you, there's a reason, right? Oh, you got to sit with that. You got to. Why is this making me feel so triggered? And maybe it's because you know it's not the best thing. Maybe you don't know how to get out of the cycle, and that's okay. That's where we have to. I think we have to sort of normalize this conversation of like. We don't all know what's best and what's best for one specific individual in a specific situation mm-hmm. in a specific environment is going to be different. And so there's no one size fits all at the same time. You know, people oftentimes say, oh, well, that might work for ne- neurotypical kid. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it works for my kids and my kids are not neurotypical. So mm-hmm. it, there's no blanket. You can't blanket a mm-hmm. statement for any specific yeah. situation. It's so nuanced. Um, which I think is why, and I don't know if you do coaching, but like, you know, having somebody who you can, you can talk to from a coaching perspective, mm-hmm. who can really help you like, 
figure out your exact situation, your space, your toys, your kid, your needs as a parent, then the kids, the needs as a kid, maybe there's a, you know, a special need or something that's happening, you know, there's a divorce happening or, you know, there's just so many unique situations Mm -hmm. that could be impacting their ability to play independently or your ability to kind of function on this more simplistic journey as a parent. And like, I think that that's just something to always be keeping in mind that, you know, it's always going to be, um, you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. We have to stop thinking that that's right. Like we have to stop thinking that that's such a bad thing, accepting, oh, wow. I I didn't know, you know, one of the, you know, car seat safety. Oh, I thought it was okay to turn my kid around at one. Now I realized at three, oh my gosh turn them back around. You know, like it's, it's okay. It's okay to be like, wow, I screwed up. And Mm -hmm. you know what? No one single decision is going to really impact like your child's life in that sense where you're, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to like inflict significant amounts of trauma, like with one tiny decision, whether or not to give your kid, you know, Daniel Tiger or or to turn them around in their car seat or whatever. Right. Like it's exactly. Yeah. You know, but overall, it's like, we want to always be trying to learn and grow and doing right by our kids. And, and, um, I think making changes to the way that we approach things, it's okay. Especially it's, it's okay. Yeah. 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 So let's say a parent is, is listening right now and they're like, okay, I I've been going about this the wrong way since my child was born. You know, I've been stimulating them and showing them screens and, you know, now they're like one and a half or two and a half and they're bored very often. I've tried toy rotations. It's time consuming. Um, They're not playing independently. I never get to cook. I never get to like fold laundry without them crying and pulling at my leg. Let's just place ourselves in the shoes of that person listening what are the first like what are the three steps or whatever steps you think they should be taking right now to like change things around in their home um i think that's such an interesting so <laughs> so it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's a lot but so one thing like one thing that you mentioned where you're like i'm you know trying to um stimulate my kid and keep them happy and keep them engaged while i'm also trying to get the stuff done that i need to get done yeah. i think one thing one simple way to kind of mesh the two things is know that your child does not need to be stimulated and entertained. If they're coming along with you for the ride, like not mm-hmm. the physical ride, like maybe it is the physical ride of the grocery doing laundry store, with you, do, yeah. doing the laundry, cooking yeah. the meal, find a way, give them a task. Even if it's literally just giving them the Tupperware or the pots and pans and mm-hmm. they're sitting on the floor while you're cooking, you don't, you as a parent, your job is to like live your life in the best way possible and bring your kid along for the ride. If you need to do a workout, do a workout. Why can't your kid just sit next to you? Yes, they might climb on you. Yes, it's annoying. Maybe they'll get it. My kids will start doing the yoga poses. I mean, it's not ideal, right? But all these things, we feel like we have to have our kid doing something separately. And Mm -hmm. I'd say the vast majority of time, of course, it's probably easier if they are, right? Because like, get out of my space. But (laughs) we are so worried about that, that we forget that it's okay for them to literally just go along with you during your day. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to do these extra things like that Mm -hmm. is learning. And that is bonding. And that's what they really want. They want to be near you. They want to be felt like they're, you know, they want to feel like they're 
a part of the family. They want to feel like there's something bigger than them, right? They they want to be participating in real mm-hmm. things. They don't want to be feeling like a burden, you know? And so I think when we, if we lose the pressure, that's probably the biggest step is like, let go of the guilt. That is, yeah. Stop mm-hmm. looking at Instagram for activities for your kids. Stop, like you said, trying to rotate toys. Like mm-hmm. none of that stuff matters. Minimize your stuff. Do it, yeah. Minimize your mind. Bring your kids along for the ride. And, um, you know, if you need support, obviously seek out the people that can help you. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that that's, that would be my biggest um, my biggest thing. And I feel like I went off on a little bit of a tangent. No, but you know, I love that you, you know, no, because it comes, it comes down to that. Like any question I feel that when it comes to parenting, it always comes back to us and what we're thinking and how certain things trigger us or how certain things bother us. And if it's, it's funny because the same thing applies to play according to what you Mm -hmm. just said, right? Like we just need to first, whatever works in our home, if you have an apartment or a bigger home, you create whatever you can within that home and it doesn't have to be a playroom. It could just be a play space. We we started off in an apartment with my daughter and I would just take out like a little blanket that I would place on the floor and she knew like, oh, it's playtime or like, you know, I would put it there with blocks and then I would go cook and she would just go towards the blocks and crawl there and just she knew that was her play area. And And it's you don't have to have a big play space. And I think that as parents, like a lot of parents tell me like my kid is bored or what do I do about boredom? But I think it's us. I think we're us. the ones fearing the boredom, us. right? And like, it's like, no one wants to hear that, right? you know, no, but it's like, but no, but it is. That's it. It is. And it's, yes. okay. it's and that's kind of what I was trying to get. It's like, you know, yeah. it's said with love, like, no, it is. Yeah. You. It's you. And that's okay. Mm. It's you. And I get it. And I've been there and it's frustrating. And you're in the cycle and you've got mm-hmm. so many demands and you just want to do the right thing and you don't know where to start. And you're, you know, you, a lot of the times we don't have necessarily that support system to kind of show us the way or to lend us a hand and, you know, bring over the dinner or whatever it is. And so we're, we're, you know, we just, we just get wrapped up in it. But I think that at the end of the day, when you can shift your mindset around what play actually is, what it's not adult led it has nothing to do with adults. You're not involved mm-hmm. at all. Like get away, leave <laughs> them alone. Stop trying to direct, stop trying to na- narrate, stop trying to tell them how to play with the toy, literally leave them alone with a mm-hmm. expletive in the middle. <laughs> right? Like you literally yeah, just leave need them. Mm. the space. They need the time. The same way that we, if we're trying to learn something or grow in some way, we need time and space to do that. So our kids need the same thing. And so we, again, it's like, we feel like we have to fill that space. We feel like we have to fill that time with things and with activities and with stuff. And it's all wrong. That's mm. wrong. And so it makes our lives easier. This is what I sort of lead with. I'm like, if you want to have more time for yourself, let me show you how to make a space that's going to be you know, prepared for independent yeah. play. Because it sounds so silly, you know, oh, the right toy or the right setup of your space. But in reality, it's, it's much bigger than that. It's nothing mm-hmm. about toys. It's nothing about space. It's about your mindset and how you're approaching mm-hmm. the whole thing. And so, mm-hmm. um, to me that that 100% it's like it's on us and we have the power to let go of so many things and to minimize and to choose 
a different way to approach play and a way to approach learning and coming from just a much more confident and simplistic, um, yeah, simplistic, mm. yeah, simplistic yeah. like vibe. And I think that and- would just help decrease so much stress and and alleviate so much pressure for for especially for moms. I really do think, and I think it's that guilt as well. And we're I, we're coming near the end of our conversation, but there's one thing that I do want to point out because I I experienced this myself. It's like you feel that because you're home. I remember on on mat leave at the beginning, because I'm home, I should always be with her. Like I was always with my daughter, and I had the guilt of stepping back if I had to do the laundry or you know start dinner, and then she was alone. And I want to say that because I'm sure there's a mom or a dad or somebody or caregiver out there that might be experiencing the same feelings of like the guilt that you're home or you're with your child at that moment, you brought them back from school or daycare and you should always be with them. But it's not that. I I think when you approach it from the way you said, just they could be playing on their own and then you could bring them into, you know, you have to fold laundry and they're they're with you and you can be chatting and you can connect. It's okay to connect with them in different ways. Mm -hmm. It is about connection. And also it's okay if you're just playing with them for like five, 10 minutes as well. And I found that for myself, when I had to prepare dinner, especially when I had three of them, I would kind of sit with them and connect with them first. And it made it much more, it was much more easy for me to step away from them because we had taken that time to play together. So I just, I'm, you know, I, I do want to say to anybody who's listening, like, I, I do think we have to step away a lot more, yes. but if you enjoy it and you want to take time, we're not saying you don't, you can't do that either. Like sometimes uh, no. people look and at it as extreme. People get so mad. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't play with my no, kids. No. And they're like, you hate your kids. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, my kids and I yeah. do a lot of stuff together. We, yeah. I am not on the floor playing dinosaurs, right? Like we like, and some parents don't like doing that. No. And a lot of, most parents don't like it and it's okay. Yeah. That's my, that's my <laughs> it's okay that you don't like yeah. with your kids like in that way and I don't like it either and that's why I don't do it um yeah. and you know just before recording this my son was kind of like in my space and I was like I only have 10 minutes so we played catch like I literally mm-hmm. inside we had a little foam ball we were rolling the ball back and forth and his face was lighting up now you know it's t- like you said it's about you know, about connection. If you can connect with your kids and be intentional, I think that's the other thing is like our lives Mm -hmm. are so busy. And so we feel like we're going from one thing to the next and it's really overwhelming and we feel like we have to do all the things. But if you spend a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes in the afternoon or the evening, you know, it's like sort of if your kids are a school age, it's like a few minutes in the morning, a few minutes after school, a few minutes in the evening and, and really connecting and other than that, your kids can do their own thing. They don't need you hovering. They don't need you in their space. They don't need you constantly having, you know, feeling like you've got to be engaged with them. Mm-hmm. It can be as easy as in, like you said, you're, you're, you know, you're folding laundry and then they're, you know, in the other room or you give them the socks. Hey, fold mm-hmm. the socks. You know, my exactly. kids love to help. Um, and really, you know, at night reading books together or doing something calming, doing a puzzle, you know, in the morning, like, you know, start your day with a long hug. What's the amount of seconds? Like 10, 15, 20 seconds or something like that, they say to like release the oxygen, whatever it's called. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like start your day really intentionally and making sure that you are connecting and then know that it's okay to say, I'm in the middle of doing something. And that can be, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm not reading a book right now. When I'm done drinking my coffee, I'll come. In the meantime, exactly. you go look at the book by yourself it's okay to say that. Like you are a human, you have your own needs. You are not Mm -hmm. at the beck and call of every single whim of your children. And when you do become that number one, you lose yourself, 
you become mm-hmm. resentful, you become irritated and you're less likely to be a good parent in the sense yeah. of like being able sure. to you know, discipline and things like that and make, you know, make good choices from a parenting perspective in that lens. But like your kids are also witnessing that you are just totally giving up on your own needs. And I think that that's not a message that we want to send. So having those boundaries, like for me, it's like in the morning, I have some, you know, like I get really overloaded from an auditory perspective. And I'll say to my kids, like, no, like I'm done. It's not the time. We're not Mm -hmm. We're not doing loud play. We're not, you know, we're not, we're in my, we're in a house, staying in a house right now where that has a lot of light up toys. I'm like, you're not pressing that button a hundred times in my face <laughs> at 630 in the morning. Like yeah, the no, toy is gone until, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's okay to set those boundaries and to yeah. say, I'm cooking dinner when I'm done chopping this onion, I'll read one book and then I have to go back to do this. Mm-hmm. And just giving them those touch points and really, Mm -hmm. I think the consistency and if they are securely attached, which most children are in a healthy home, they're going to be fine. They don't need to actually be attached to you 24 hours a day. That's like not a thing. Um, So I think just knowing that even just helps, hopefully helps parents say, okay, like if I'm doing this, it's okay for me to say no to building a block house or playing tea, playing tea or playing Barbies. If you want to, great. Like you said, no one's telling you you can't, but also keep in mind, like you're not, that's not your, you know, you're not constantly doing that because then again, that's going to set up for this cycle of like, they're going to always expect you to be exactly their playmate. Um, So if somebody's listening to this, I'm so sorry, we have to end this conversation. But if somebody's listening, how do they learn from you? How can they they get in touch with you? How do they find you? So I am all on social media, uh, Play, Learn, Thrive Kids on Instagram and Play, Learn, Thrive on my new TikTok account because I'm over there and making it happen. Um, My website is playlearnthrive.com and I do offer, I have a course that teaches you all about this stuff and how to set up your space and choose toys and all that. And I do also offer consultations one-on-one for parents who just need, like I said, it's very individual based on your space, your you know, your child, your lifestyle. Um, so I do work with parents one-on-one and more of a consulting coaching um, type of offering so they can find all that information on my site. I love that. We will add all of that to the show notes. Thank you uh, for joining me today and talking about play, one of my favorite topics, yeah. uh, especially with you. Thank you. Thank you and so much for having me. <laughs> thank you to everyone who's listening. Thank you to the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at The Neuro here in Montreal for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or Spotify. You can also listen to the podcast on Amazon Music now um, and follow us on Instagram, curious underscore neuron or visit the website, curious neuron.com. Thank you. Bye.